Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live, work, or play in the country. Farm Credit is here to help you make your dream of country living a reality. Their unique cooperative structure allows them to return some of their profits back to their borrowers. This patronage distribution effectively lowers a borrower's rate. To get started with your first or next land purchase, give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL or visit them at www.gorural.net. And also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Mallardbay.com is the Airbnb style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the United States. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Hunt and Land Podcast. I am your host, Butch Theory, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Joe Baya. What you say over there, Cap? I'm halfway joining you today. I'm losing my <laughs> voice. Uh... Yeah, big man won't be talking talking as much today, huh? Yeah, I'll I'll give you all my uh my laryngitis voice. Here we go. That's right, man. That's right. Well, man, today is uh we're going to have a something that I'm interested in. It's something that is affecting, you know, communities that are that are pretty close to you and I and where we hunt. It's uh we're going to be talking about CWD. You know, it's going to be talking about how to prevent a big threat to the future of hunting. Yeah, you know, it's been in the news for a while. I think a lot of times anytime something gets a lot of attention it's easy to almost kind of lose sight of the threat that's still there i always heard the analogy you know is it's like just because the mongolians have been outside the wall for 30 days doesn't mean it's safe to go outside the wall <laughs> you know they're still there that's a fact. uh just because you're tired of it doesn't mean it's safe um so yeah i mean i'm, I'm looking forward to getting a refresher on chronic wasting disease and a reminder, you know, as we go into deer seasons are pretty much open everywhere now of what, what we all need to be doing to help prevent this from spreading and, and why, you know, I think it's gotten a lot of, a lot of press, some positive, some negative, some, uh, over the, over the last few years today, we're going to get back to the basics and, and really cover what's going on, what you need to do about it. Yep. We're going to be getting in the nitty gritty, man. And today joining us, our guest is Aaron Field. He's the director of private lands conservation at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Welcome to the show, Aaron. How are we doing today? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. Thank you, man. Thanks for joining us today. It has kind of been a big topic around here in Alabama. We have some counties up in northern Alabama that have been affected by CWD. And there's been some recently over kind of around Joe over the northwest Florida area. So we just figured we'd bring you on today to discuss it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Continue to see that expansion as much as we'd prefer not to. So some new folks having to deal with this disease. Absolutely. So I figured we would just dig in, talk about, you know, what it is, how to prevent it and things that we can do as hunters and stewards of the land to make sure that it does not spread. I guess we'll just take it from the top, man. Tell us what is chronic wasting disease? Sure. Chronic wasting disease. Uh, we usually go by the acronym of CWD. It's a neurological, it's a brain disease, uh, affects members of the deer family. And so species that can get CWD include white-tailed deer, 
um, which is what we'd be talking about in, in your part of the world, but also mule deer, including blacktails, elk can develop the disease. I've seen it more recently in, in moose and caribou. Basically, this is a, it's a highly transmissible disease, meaning that two animals that are in close proximity to, get to each other, if one of them has it, it's pretty likely that another one could pick it up. No cure. Uh, we don't have a vaccine. We don't have uh, any way to treat an affected animal. And it can remain on the landscape for, for long periods of time. CWD is in a class of diseases known as transmissible spongiform encephalopathies. And that's a mouthful for sure. Uh, but basically, it's a brain disease that can be transmitted. And when an animal is affected by it, it the brain ends up looking somewhat like a sponge. So other examples of diseases like that would be mad cow disease, which most of us have heard about, and also scrapey in sheep. So if you're a sheep or goat producer, you know you know about scrapey. And one of the things that's unique about CWD is it's not caused by a virus. It's not caused by bacteria. It's actually caused by a misfolded protein, which we call a prion. And these prions, when they come into contact with normal proteins, uh, they can cause them to misfold as well. And basically what that does is the body no longer breaks down those proteins, those prions, and so they can build up over time. Uh, and in CWD, that buildup tends to take place around the brain, which can cause brain damage. I've known Butch since he was about seven years old. And about 12 or 13, he started acting pretty funny. I think he may have actually had this. But well, we uh, need to get, uh, we need to get you in touch with. Is that what they told you was wrong with you, Butch? I can't remember. <laughs> Sponge brain, absolutely what they right. said. Yep. <laughs> no, but, but in seriousness, you know, I mean, this is a big problem. Obviously, we don't want to see it spread in the areas that it that it's... Uh, it's taken over. It's it's been a big problem for all the deer species. And but that being said, I mean, is this something that could get transmitted to humans? Well, one of the bright spots is as of right now, we don't have any evidence of CWD being transmitted to humans. Researchers are working really hard on this. They're studying, you know, different ways that could happen. So far, what we call a species barrier is holding up really well, which has prevented transmission from deer to humans so far as we know. There's been other studies that Rather than, you know, looking at different transmission mechanisms, there's other studies that have uh, tracked populations over a long period of time. So uh, folks who either know they've eaten a CWD-positive deer or have simply been eating venison in an area where CWD has been on the landscape for a long time, like Colorado or Wyoming. And so far, tracking those populations, we've seen no difference in prion disease occurrence between those individuals and the general population. Now, I will say that's a little bit difficult to know for sure, just because these diseases can take a long time to pop up, uh, or at least for symptoms to develop. And also, they're pretty rare in the general population. So humans can, can develop prion disease. It's not chronic wasting disease, as far as we know, um, but there are other forms. And uh, so, so far, we, we haven't seen that happen. That being said, the mechanism by which this could happen, um, there are other prion diseases that humans have contracted from eating meat, most notably mad cow disease. And so if you're hunting in an area with CWD, you should really be taking precautions. I wouldn't recommend eating meat from a CWD positive deer. The CDC strongly recommends that you don't do that. The absolute last thing we need is a human case. No doubt about that. The, uh, you mentioned it a little bit there, how it kind of forms in the deer's brain initially, but how do deer get it and how, how does it spread to other deer? 
Yeah. So there's, there's a number of ways that deer can actually pick up the prions that cause this disease. Mostly this happens through direct contact with bodily fluids. So that might be saliva, that might be urine, that might be bucks that are breeding or rutting or fighting or grooming each other. Could be deer that are sharing the same food source in really close proximity. Um, CWD prions can also stay on the landscape uh, for multiple years. And so we see higher rates of CWD prions on, on spots like scrapes that bucks are using. And so I mentioned this already, but in a natural setting, it'd be those activities that put deer in close proximity together. Any artificial system that brings deer really close together can also cause that spread to, to happen more frequently. So that could be at the extreme example, that could be a deer farm where you've got a whole bunch of animals in one location. Um, at a little bit less extreme example, if you've got a feed or bait site that a lot of animals are putting their nose in the exact same spot, that could increase that transmission as well. Basically, if we want to reduce the spread of the disease, we need free roaming deer that are operating at relatively natural densities. Right. Kind of spread out and doing their natural thing, not necessarily corralled and That's sharing right. troughs with other deer necessarily. You mentioned a little bit there as far as uh, you know the sponge brain in deer. Are there any ways to identify a CWD positive deer on the hoof and or post-harvest? Yep. So we have good post-harvest testing. Those tests are very accurate. They also take a little bit of time for folks to get back. Really, if you want to know if a deer is CWD positive, that's that's the answer is you need to have that deer tested. In states that are, you know, either been dealing with CWD for a long while or have the resources dedicated to testing, that can be pretty easy. Uh, to get get your hands on a test and you can get your results back pretty quickly. Other states with fewer resources or that haven't been dealing with CWD for as long, it might be a little tougher for hunters to get a hold of a test. But we we want to see that availability across the board. If a hunter wants to know if that deer has CWD, they should be able to get a hold of a test easily and they should be able to get those results back quickly. As far as symptoms from a living deer it's really difficult to know just by looking at a deer, whether it's got CWD. Now, if that deer is advanced stage of the disease and about to tip over, they're going to look emaciated. They're not eating very well. That's where that wasting part of the name comes from. Uh, they might be drooling. They might be stumbling. They may not have a lot of awareness of what's going on around them, which might translate to a lack of fear of, of humans. And so if you see a deer that, that positively looks sick, that may or may not be CWD, but it's still important to contact your state wildlife agency to determine, you know, what's going on with that animal. I will say, though, that once a deer contracts CWD, it can take up to two years before that deer becomes symptomatic. And so you might have what appears to be a healthy looking deer that is actually CWD positive. Is the occurrence CWD in a deer, like, is that always going to be fatal for the deer? Like, do some deer carry it and never creates symptoms or is it always going to eventually result, you know, in the end of that deer? Yeah, I think I think this is one place where a lot of hunters tend to draw the wrong conclusion. So they might say something like, we might say something like, I live in a CWD zone and I've never seen a deer with this disease, or we'll see a deer die uh, from some other cause and we'll interpret that to mean that CWD isn't what's killing these deer. In reality, this is a fatal disease. If they contract the disease and none of these other causes get to them first, that deer is going to die from CWD. Uh, the other point to make is this is a brain disease um, and it causes cognitive decline in the animal. So they're less aware of their surroundings. 
Um, they're not paying as close attention. And so a deer that's CWD positive is more likely to be hit by a car. It's more likely to be killed by a predator. It's more likely to be shot by a hunter. And so a lot of deer with CWD end up being killed by something else, but that doesn't mean that CWD didn't have an influence in that death. Sure. That definitely makes sense. Kind of lowers their ambitions, inhibitions, and just sounds like kind of like bourbon whenever Joe drinks bourbon. Just lowers his... <laughs> oh, man. So this is obviously a, a bad thing, and we do not want it to spread whatsoever. What are some of the ramifications of having a, you know, kind of a, I hate to even say it, but a, a widespread situation? Yeah. So... The real issue here is when we get to widespread, high prevalence of this disease. So you get up to 10, 15, 20% of deer on the landscape that are you know, testing positive for this disease. We know CWD is fatal for an individual, but what does it mean for a population is something we'll, we're still learning a little bit more about. We first discovered CWD in, in wild deer in the 1980s. Most of the areas of the country that have CWD now have only had it for a decade or two and many for far less. So we have a lot to learn about the long-term impacts of the disease. But uh, what we do know is that when we get to high prevalence of CWD in a deer herd, it does suppress the population, and it also decreases the average lifespan of those animals. And so when that happens, we have fewer deer, uh, and we have fewer large mature animals. And I don't know about you guys, but when I go deer hunting, I like to see big bucks. Yeah. And oh, yeah. having a high prevalence of CWD in the population makes it less likely that you're going to see that. So that's a bad enough new, news on its own if we've got fewer deer and we've got fewer big bucks. But I still think the, uh, the bigger threat is deer hunting to deer hunting itself. If people don't have good deer hunting, if people are afraid of this disease and we see fewer and fewer people hunting deer, that's a major issue for, for deer, deer hunting, and conservation in general in this country. That would take away our best management tool for deer populations. And that's not just for CWD. I'm talking deer populations in general. If we lose too many hunters, uh, it's also a drastic cut to wildlife conservation funding. Um, hunters are, are still the biggest funders of wildlife conservation in this country. And if we lose participation there, we could be in real trouble for just conservation in general, just wildlife, clean water, healthy soil, clean air across the country. It's also deer hunting is one of the most accessible ways to get new hunters afield. There's deer widespread across the country. They use multiple habitat types. You can find them on public land. You can find them on private land. Uh, they can be hunted in a bunch of different ways. And they've got a lot of good meat on the deer. So if we lose too many deer hunters, we're, we're really going to upset just hunting in general across this country. And so we're a lot better off doing what we can now to prevent and slow the spread of this disease and to keep that prevalence low, keep it where we have it, rather than waiting and letting it get out of control. You know, Butch and I talk about this a lot on a lot of different avenues, both the hunting side and the fishing side. But I think we're all better off if we do what we can to self-regulate before, before it we gets need to, to a place. You know, before, That's right. right. Before it gets to that point where you have to regulate. Uh, nobody wants to see that. And, you know, like you said, we, I, I certainly don't want, want my two sons to have to deal with the ramifications of something that I could have corrected, you know, and, and I could have done my part on. So I guess the, the real question is, is how is chronic wasting disease spread by humans, right? Because we can control that. We can't control how deer interact with each other. But how is chronic wasting disease spread by humans? And then what can we as hunters do to prevent chronic wasting disease from spreading in deer? Yeah, absolutely. The, the deer to deer transmission, 
I mean, there are some things we can do to help, but the big, big issue is deer don't pick up and move a couple hundred miles on their own. Um, especially if we're talking about white-tailed deer, where we've got homebody animal. And so even though the disease is highly transmissible from an individual to an individual, it's relatively slow moving across the landscape. So we really need to think about how, how does CWD spread from county to county or how does state to state? And that's really where humans come into this. Where we get into real trouble uh, with CWD is when it moves in the back of a pickup or it moves in a livestock trailer, because that's when we start seeing it show up in new states. That's when we see it in whole new regions of the country. So I think hunters need to accept some responsibility here and be a part of the solution. Gone are the days where we just throw a whole deer in the back of the pickup and drive several states back home. We need to be a lot more proactive than that. But also the the servant industry, the deer farms need to step up too. We really can't be loading live deer in a trailer and moving them across the country. The risk is just too high. We do not have solid, accurate tests for live animals yet. And so we don't know what we're moving when we do something like that. From the hunting perspective, what can what can hunters do? There's a lot of things that hunters can do to be part of solution here on CR, on CWD as opposed to contributing to the issue. Uh, the first thing I would say is keep hunting. Hunters are the best partners that our state wildlife agencies, our tribal wildlife agencies have in CWD management. So keep hunting and, and follow your state's regulations. We talked about this. We want to avoid getting to the point where it has to be something that's regulated. And so what you, whatever you can do voluntarily ahead of time, even better. But once those regulations are in place, it's really important that we follow them. In areas where that's deer densities are too high, and I think I just saw a press release out of Mississippi in the last few days talking about how densities are too high in part of the state and, and hunters can help there. If that's the case where you hunt and regulations allow it, take an extra doe. Or even better yet, take a new hunter out for a doe hunt. Anything we can do to sort of restore those healthy herds at, at natural densities where those deer are. And it's not just CWD. You get too many deer stacked into an area at an artificial density and all of a sudden all sorts of weird diseases start showing up. Um, yeah. it's, it's similar to people. Yeah, just not natural. That's right. Another thing hunters can do is make sure you follow, follow the regulations. One of the big issues is moving potentially infectious parts of a deer. Uh, that would include things like brains, spines, spleens from place to place. You go out and dump that in the ditch somewhere. Uh, deer spend more time around carcasses than I think a lot of us realize. And it is possible for them to pick up uh, prions from those carcasses. One of the best ways you can do that is to just debone your, your deer in the field. Hunters in the West have been doing this for a long time, mostly because they had to carry that deer a lot further than us in the Midwest or South typically have to. But that's a good way to leave those those dangerous parts behind. If you don't like those regulations, uh, if you don't understand those regulations, I, I would encourage you to get involved. I'm not saying you should go cause a scene at a public meeting. Uh, I'm not saying you should pick fights with your deer biologist. What I'm saying is, is go to those meetings, ask questions, meet the people who are doing the work, you know, the people who are spending day in, day out thinking about this, using the best research they have available, and have a conversation with them about how you can help keep deer populations healthy. Uh, and I, I would say 99% of the time, uh, we would keep the fight out of CWD if we did a better job of that communication up front. Another way hunters can help is by getting their deer tested. Uh, if you're in an area with CWD or one that's being monitored for CWD, get that deer tested. Not only does that tell you whether it tests positive, but it helps the state agency with their monitoring efforts. And then get involved. 
not all of our lawmakers understand how important hunting is for conservation. That's a simple fact. And probably even few of them understand the economic impact that hunting has, especially deer hunting. Because of that, it's sometimes hard to get folks to invest in that conservation, specifically for CWD research or CWD management and monitoring activities. And so if we're going to get ahead of CWD, we really need these lawmakers to hear from their constituents about how important deer hunting is to them and how important it is to make sure CWD doesn't prevent that. I'm glad you brought up getting involved because one of the things I've noticed in talking to people and also talking to uh, the scientific community, the legislative community, is that a lot of times those two communities may feel like they're at odds. But what I see almost always is that that legislative community, that scientific community, they're deer hunters as well. You know, so they're having to deal with the same regulations that they're recommending everyone deal with. I think talking and communicating, like you said, is huge because you start to understand that both sides can have a common goal really on agree on a lot more than they disagree on. And right. the goal here is just to leave it better than they found it. You know, that's really what we're going for. And and you mentioned those legislators that don't understand hunting as a heritage, hunting as an economic driver and and speaking to those legislators. I think that's a big part of what you guys do, right? At the TRCP. Tell us a little bit about what the TRCP is, you know, some of the advocacy that you guys engage in. Yeah. So mission here at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership is to guarantee all Americans quality places to hunt fish. Uh, and I assume all of your listenership could agree that that's a good thing to work towards. So we work on that from a federal policy perspective in the West on public lands that might have to do with, you know, how agencies manage land, what they're prioritizing and, and, and how they make their decisions. Uh, for most of my day-to-day -day work, I'm working on ag policy. Uh, it's a farm bill year right now. And farm bill conservation is the single largest investment in conservation the U.S. makes, period. Not just on private lands, not just on ag, period. So that's that's where I spend the bulk of my time. We've got staff working on you know ocean fisheries. We've got staff working on natural climate solutions. We've got staff making sure there's water and trout steam streams in the Colorado River Basin. And so uh, we're a partnership-based organization. Uh, we bring together Basically, all the we bring together about 62 nonprofit organizations in the hunt, fish, and conservation space and uh, unite and amplify those voices so that we make sure that we continue to have conservation habitat and access in the U.S. Absolutely. We appreciate what you guys are doing out there. Joe and I talk about it all the time. The majority of your hunters and anglers, landowners also are going to try and do the right thing. They're going to try and, you know, live by the regulations that make what we have here in the fishing and hunting industry that much better and kind of leave the land better than you found it. So if folks want to kind of get up with you guys and get involved, what's the best way to find out how to get involved with TRCP? Yeah. If you want to get involved with TRCP, the easiest way is to just go to trcp.org. If you go up to the top right corner and click join the TRCP, you'll have a pop-up right there. We don't charge any annual dues. All we'd basically ask you for is an email address so that we can keep you up to date on what we're working on and what's most relevant to you. And then as time goes on, we'll give you some opportunities to weigh in on, on issues that are relevant to you. While you're on the website, take a look around, read up on what's, what's most 
relevant to you. So if you're a Western public lands hunter, if you, you know, hunt the corn belt, if you're from the Southeast and you're interested in, uh, you know, land management on timber ground, find the topic that applies most to you. And, and we've got all sorts of opportunities for you to get better informed and also for you to participate yourself. The other thing I'll say is we're a partnership-based organization. So while you're on trcp.org, click on about and take a look at our list of partners. Um, I guarantee you, if you hunt or fish, you'll find several groups on that list that are doing great work on the ground for you and take some time to check them out as well and consider joining those organizations. Definitely will do. Aaron, we appreciate you being on with us today and educating our listeners on something that's uh, very important to our hunting community here. And it's a lot of good information for us to, to get in front of this thing and hopefully take some action and help you guys out with this. Well, I appreciate you shining a light on this for your listeners and uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. This segment was brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. And also brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors, and they can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. Man, Joe, you know, nobody really wants to, I hate that it's got a kind of a negative connotation. I guess it should, because it's a bad thing to be spreading around our deer population, but it's just kind of hard to talk about these things sometimes. Seems like in this, in the current environment that we're in, in the United States today, anytime anything comes in the form of government regulation, a, a, a lot of people's immediate reaction is to resist very abrasive and and you know just you know you just immediately think oh here we go another another big government intrusion into my life you know but the problem with that default mindset is that how do you get a message out that's just based on sound science and and you know the the way i look at this too is is what is it really hurting for you to debone your i mean mean, basically if everybody would just debone their animal and leave the affected tissues, as far as we know, up to this point, if everyone right. would just leave the affected tissue where they harvest the animal, it prevent it, it pretty much prevent it from spreading, at least wide scale spreading. Right. Is that well, really not. that big of a deal? No, I mean, but I think it takes that me a it, little extra time at my camp to debone my animal versus sure. leaving the bone on and, and doing it at home. Just build that time in. Yeah. I think a big and, part of this is, you know, just exactly what you're talking about right there. How 
how do you talk about it without it being abrasive? And I think the best way to do that is just to educate yeah. people that may not know that they need to debone their deer and not transport them over, you know, state lines. Yeah. Just really just that, leave them, leave them where you get them. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's that simple. If you, uh, the way I, you know, the other thing I think about, and you know, again, let's play both sides of the coin, but what's it hurting for you to debone that animal? But the, the, the flip side of this is, is, I know that what hooked me as a hunter was deer hunting. And the reason I got hooked is because it was interesting and exciting. And just about every single weekend we went, I can't think of a single weekend we went that we didn't see a deer. And most of the time we saw deer every day. Right. So if you think about what it's like for a young hunter, if the majority of the time they see an animal, that's going to be a pretty fun pursuit and they're probably going to become a hunter versus if the majority of the time they don't see an animal probably not going to stick with it very long there's more exciting things to do i don't love not seeing deer (laughs) you know i get past it at this point but I, i i do think what aaron said is key there the biggest threat here is 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 the threat of losing hunters and all of the economics that go with that because if we lose more hunters we're losing our voice in washington the animals are losing the single largest driver of conservation dollars and uh, the spaces, the places, the the animals that we love, we're, we're going to have less and less of that. And that's not what I want to see for my kids. That's for sure. Nope. Me either, man. I think the best thing to take away from this is educate, educate yourself, uh, figure out, you know, how you can not be a part of the problem, be a part of the solution and then work to prevent it. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also, by Southern Seed Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also, Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live, work, or play in the country. To get started with your first or next land purchase, give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL or visit them at www.gorural.net.